Chag HaNitzachon, a nice term that we'll talk about in a little bit. And uh, let me know if you can hear me uh, okay, if you hear me well, nice and even. And Chag HaMeach Todah, Chag HaMeach Sameach Yom Shishi HaChanukah, the sixth day of Hanukkah, which uh, also, thank you, Todah Russell, which also uh, is particularly important for a number of uh, very timely reasons, timely in terms of the day and the week and the season, and even on a very macro-historical level, uh, millennially speaking, that tonight, Halayla uh, Hazeh is Yom Hashishi Shel Chanukah, the sixth night of Chanukah. Now, I mentioned uh, Chanukah is sometimes called Chag uh, HaNitzachon, and you see that's from the Hebrew word, very important word, that has uh, three main meanings. Um, in uh, Firstly, Netzach, which means eternal or forever. It's a, it's a synonym in that way, in its first ma- meaning, for the Hebrew word olam, which as some of you know, means both world and also time. For example, in the phrase me'atov adolam means from now until forever or for now, from now till forever. And uh, so it was should have surprised no one that it was a Jewish uh, man who came up with a unified uh, space and time theory to explain motion in the universe as well as figuring out a constant by which to measure the speed of light and to measure the, the movement relative to each other of uh, bodies uh, in uh, space or another way of putting that as he, Albert Einstein that is, pointed out uh, fields of energy in space okay, but to come back Netzach why is Hanukkah the festival of the liberation of Judea, of especially the liberation and rededication, hence the term Hanukkah, the sancti- re-sanctification of the temple and Temple Mount, um, and the driving out and repeated defeat over a period actually of 28 years. If you've read through the history, which you can do in the books of Maccabees, especially, I mean, the the liberation of the temple was accomplished after three years of fighting, which is probably pretty much plenty for just about any group of people who uh, are living off the land and fighting a highly militarized culture with uh, a great deal of military technologies and a virtually boundless supply of mercenaries, as well as their own troops, took three years to uh, conquer Jerusalem and then rededicate the temple in the month of Kislev the month of dreams 2071 years ago uh, this uh, last week and uh, another 25 years after that until the last Greek forces were totally thrown out of the uh, area of Israel uh, east and west of the Jordan but so Chag HaNetzachon the the festival of eternity interestingly enough although in that use of the phrase it means the secondary meaning of Netzach which is victory it's one of the uh, Hebrew words for victory it's very interesting uh, in showing the mindset of the Jewish people and if we can use the figure of speech using the 
mindset of the Eternal One, the Creator, that in the Holy Tongue, that, that in Hebrew, from which the entire world is created, there is not, to my knowledge, an individual separate word, unless modern Hebrew is coined one, that I haven't found it in my own dictionaries. There's not a separate, distinct word for victory, like victory in a football game or victory in a war. There are two very profound words that have victory as one of their two main meanings. Netzach being one, it means both eternity or eternal and also means victory. And that's why if you look up on the whiteboard in the upper left-hand corner right under the line, you'll see the acronym NILI N-I-L-I and I'll talk to you just in a moment about that a little bit but the N in Neely stands for Netzach Uh, Netzach means eternity and victory and also the word uh, Yeshuot that we say every day in Hanukkah in the Al-Hanissim prayer Uh, Hanero Salalu also some people call it the, the blessed lights or lamps and we thank the Jewish people thank Hashem for all Hanisim for all Haniflaot for all your miracles and all your wonders for all your mighty deeds Hagvurot for all your salvations although here the phrase also means victories the salvations in the sense of military victories of as it says a little later in the prayer of the few over the many and of the righteous defenders of Torah over the wicked who had occupied the land that is the uh, main prayer so there are two words for victory Netzach which also means eternity eternal and Yeshua which means victor, uh, salvation and also victory victory obviously accomplishes salvation especially for the Jewish people whose land has been invaded so many 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 times in the last uh, since they arrived there since they arrived in the promised land 3300 years ago and uh, in a a pattern in a a repeat so to speak on a national level in the way Abraham, Yitzhak and Yaakov uh, had so much trouble when they were sojourning in the promised land before they were settled there as a nation so how appropriate that, uh, that the Jewish people do not have a distinctive word for victory which you know in a material sense in an ideological sense a political sense a social sense might be so helpful it might be so conceptually handy and yet it's a uh, it's revealing that Hebrew the holy and creative language uh, is not is embodied in a people and is not about conquest it's not about conquering and achieving victories which is central to most dominant cultures like the Greeks like the Romans like uh, the culture of Islam which is all about conquest which is the meaning of the term Fatah you know which is which has become by the by the sorcery of major power diplomacy has become the moderate party now or as someone recently uh, suggested uh, Mahmoud Abbas Yasser Arafat's longtime uh, uh, chief of command and organizer of many uh, murderous activities and attacks has Mahmoud Abbas and Fatah have become the Trojan horse for Hamas just as the Oslo process was the Trojan horse for destroying Israel as Faisal Husseini uh, remarked in 
two, five and a half years ago, as Yasser Arafat himself said on a number of occasions. You can do a Google search on that and you'll find many hundreds, maybe even many thousands of listings. Trojan Horse-Palestine or Trojan Horse-Faisal Hussein and so, so on. Anyway, Netzach Yisraeli stands for Netzach Yisrael Lo Yishaker. These are famous words spoken by the prophet Samuel to Shaul HaMelech, the king Saul, uh, words of rebuke when he was very tersely and in a few words uh, reminding king Saul why uh, that when Hashem makes a covenant and when Hashem says fulfill a commandment, a ordered directly from me you fulfill it without trying to improve it or amend it or change it uh, uh, Samuel you will remember had uh, been told by Hashem and he relayed to King Saul that the time had come to remember Amalek the eternal enemies of the Jewish people, the tribe that lived roughly in the area of Arabia uh, and uh, the Sinai Peninsula who had attacked Israel, the nation on its way out of Egypt, a uh, sneak attack from the rear when their spirit was weak. Uh, Samuel said to Saul, Netzach Yisrael lo yishaker, referring, this is one of God's names. The Netzach Yisrael is one of the names of the Eternal One. You could say one of his titles. The eternity of Israel, the victory of Israel, amounts to the same thing. You could say, you know, the sense of that, uh, the Eternal One of Israel is the, uh, the, uh, the eternal heritage of Israel, the immortality of Israel as a people. Uh, does not go back on his word does not does not lie and go back on his word is uh, to complete the sentence uh, Neil, a brief historical reference Neely also was the name because of this reference from scripture uh, and because of this it's a injunction uh, not to forget which is what the uh, the commandment, remember it's a positive commandment given several times in the Chumash, in the five books of Moses, I think three times. You will blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You will not forget. You will blot them out. You will not forget what they did to you on the way. Um, that's repeated at least once, I believe twice. Uh, later on in the book of Numbers and uh, Deuteronomy. So a, a group of Jews living in Eretz Israel, when it was still part of the Ottoman Turkish Empire, uh, risked their lives and most of them lost their lives. They were tortured and executed by the Turks because most of them eventually were caught but not before over a period of years they provided the British army with uh, invaluable information on how to navigate what was then the trackless desert of the Sinai and Israel's Negev up to Be'er Sheva and beyond. The British themselves whose uh, top military echelons almost completely and whose government was filled with uh, Jew haters who were not about to say or do anything to help the Jewish people, themselves admitted, though, General Allenby and others admitted, that their moves in the southern campaign against the Turks, which was, by the way, the only campaign in all of World War I in which a British forces or British Commonwealth forces were able to defeat the Turks, were in Eretz Israel with the help of Neely, who told them where all the, the wells and oases were, where the Turkish forces were, where they could find a passable roadway or something that could be used as a road, and with the help of the Jewish Brigade, the uh, Zion Mule Corps, as it was colloquially called, organized by Yev, uh, Zev Yabatinsky, 
after three years of tireless lobbying to, for the British to allow there to be, you know, you'd think you wouldn't have to do more than make a suggestion. And the British, who were fighting ostensibly for dominance of the world with Germany, would uh, take help from anywhere they could get it. But uh, in a repeat of the pattern, even worse in World War II, the British uh, had to be lobbied for three and a half years, and, and, and this was at a time when there were many British, uh, some of them of, of pretty high rank in the military and in their diplomatic and government circles, who were Zionists and who supported uh, establishing a Jewish state in all of Jordan and and Israel west of the Jordan. Anyway, that was Neely, Netzach Yisrael Lo Yishaker, Neely the phrase spoken by the prophet Shmuel, reminding Israel that every king of Israel has the Torah mitzvah, the commandment, the milchemet mitzvah, the obligatory war to wipe out Amalek every Jewish leader and this is Amalek of course needs to be defined Rambam defined him in Hilchot Malachim in the Mishnah Torah the, uh, in the uh, section on the laws of kings is any foreign force that comes to impose any decree on Israel okay. that includes a lot of people at this point right any foreigner or foreign force that comes to impose taxes or to take any kind of property from Israel, let alone to take land, that obligates the leaders of Israel to Mohammed mitzvah, to obligatory war and to destroy who or whatever these forces happen to be, and anyone who attacks any Jews uh, in Israel also is... Uh, considered to be to trigger a milchemet mitzvah a mandatory war and Ramban states that anyone who hesitates in waging such a war is responsible for the blood shed in the interim so I think this is all very relevant to Hanukkah which uh, is a miracle was, was a miracle just as Israel is an ongoing miracle when you consider that is the persistence of Jewish people anywhere in the land of Israel when you consider the forces arrayed against them which is almost everyone you know except you know America is a house divided again not uh, one of the main ways at least geopolitically is in the its attitude and toward and treatment of Israel there's enormous amounts of goodwill and cooperation in the American military, especially the lower down you go, the more respect, friendship, and cooperation there is, as so often in the world. The higher up you go, the more treachery, uh, uh, sellout, and hostility you get. And uh, we'll talk a more about that in the next class, but it's very bad. You know, they are, they are arming and training Fatah, and all the other 417 the Mahmoud Abbas's the uh, the murderer of the Jewish children at Malat they're supplying the Americans are we we are paying are paying for thousands of automatic weapons for American soldiers to train these uh, Amalekites in using these weapons when their leaders proclaim the weapons will be used only against Jews and never against Arab terrorists they, they have repeated this dozens of times over the recent years and training them even in electronic uh, surveillance and encryption techniques if you can believe that and there were a lot of that was going on in the years before 9-11 right outside in a little towns outside of Ramallah is only about 10-12 miles north of uh, Jerusalem well so uh, the persistence of Israel on its land is a miracle just as the victory of the Hashmonaim the Maccabees was a miracle of faith of active faith 
it's a lot, we're reminded that uh, in Judaism, a miracle is not something that drops out of the sky. You know, it doesn't matter how many you could talk to uh, orthodox groups or you could talk to mystical groups of what any from any religion, whatever kind. They say, no, well, the third temple is going to drop down fully built out of the sky. No, that's completely opposite to who knows how many hundreds of midrashim and uh, as well as specific teachings in Judaism going right back to the acceptance of the Torah at uh, Mount Sinai when as all the commentators stress it's, it's very significant that the people first said we will do before we, we will do and we will understand after regardless of what the exile, the various exiles and endless attacks have done to the Jewish people and to Jewish leadership, no one disagrees in the commentaries, you know, you can look at them, or in the plain Peshat of the Chumash, that Judaism and the Jewish people, Israel, as they were named, um, uh, is uh, above all about doing or as is summed up uh, a popular saying in Judaism that sums up this idea man must begin and Hashem will complete you know in English which is so permeated especially the last 500 years with Jewish ideas and principles especially the, the English who came to this country and became Americas there's a very similar expression with a very similar idea heaven or God helps those who help themselves except of course in the Hebrew the emphasis on God's control uh, is, is a little bit more pronounced it's very similar ideas man must begin and Hashem will complete it's, uh, not a simple term for that kind of approach to life is active faith this is what the people in Gush Katif talked about all the time and talk about after they were expelled from their homes and their homes and livelihood were destroyed. I hear they talk to me. I heard them talk about it in many of the different places where they were dispersed. Over and over and over again, active faith. We saw a beautiful example of it last night on the fifth night of Hanukkah when hundreds of Jews gathered from all over the country and despite roadblocks thrown up by the army of the regime a puppet regime of the foreign powers despite army roadblocks and horses you think of the verse about some rely on horses and some on chariots and, but we on, in the name of Hashem our God call out that's Tehillim 20 Psalm 20 you could if you go to Arid Sheva website later tonight or tomorrow and you look in the archive for yesterday, December 19th news, you'll see a beautiful photo essay and a very short video too of the hundreds of Jews that hiked up to Chomesh in the northern Shomron and they returned to their settlement from which they were expelled late in August 2005 to light Hanukkah candles what more perfect uh, commemoration of Hanukkah which is about dedication and rededication and Jewish sovereignty and releasing the light of Hashem into a dark world what more perfect commemoration of Hanukkah could there be than a return Town, Jewish towns in the center of the land of Israel that have been emptied of Jews and lighting the Hanukkah lights even when you're opposed by uh, armed troops. What a great uh, victory that is. So, Netzach Yisrael Lo Yishaker. Now, briefly, before I talk to you about the family of Israel, about Yaakov Yo, Yo, these are the generations of Yaakov Yosef and then it continues was a lad with the children of the handmaids and etc and we know that many teachings are derived from the fact that there is 
that the name Yosef directly follows the name Yaakov in Parsha uh, in Parsha uh, Vayeshev that we talked about last week and of course it's expressed in Yaakov's feelings for Yosef as his firstborn from his intended wife uh, Rachel Rachel as we say but before we talk about Yaakov Yosef Yehuda and Yosef and Yehuda both as well as Yaakov all three of them that's why I have them arranged like that up in the upper right have a special relation to Binyamin the youngest uh, of Jacob's twelve sons and the only son born the Eretz Yisrael I just want to mention the third meaning of Netzach as in Netzach Yisrael Lo Yishaker a a name of Hashem and a verse that's particularly relevant to Chanukah the Chag HaNetzachon the third meaning is conductor as in the conductor of an orchestra it could be a small chamber orchestra of two or three instruments such as you might use to accompany a, a, a psalm or a larger orchestra is a, is a, is a Netzach uh, um, some of you may know this word from if you ever look at uh, Tehillim in Hebrew if you have a Hebrew English version of Psalms many 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 of the Psalms begin with the words Lam Natseach Mizmor LeDavid for example for the conductor uh, as a hymn or a psalm by David Lamanatseach for or to the conductor Natseach from Netzach so from this we see the, the brilliance of Hebrew Netzach the name of God but it means eternity it means victory it also means the conductor and in that way it alludes to the relation of the eternal one to all the Jewish people as a conductor to his orchestra and it alludes to the relationship of the Jewish people to all of mankind as a uh, needing to take the lead in gathering the light and building good vessels for the light uh, of creation uh, and so that all of mankind can enjoy it vessels that the B'nai Noah also have and have to struggle in our dark days to fashion so that the vessels both are the kalim or vessels are both strong but also translucent you know, I know I'm talking about metaphors here but this you understand the connection it's a very useful metaphor and I, I'll, it's a chance for me to review something we talked about periodically in the middle uh, classes of this course the energy of creation the light of creation the sparks uh, that we're reminded of by the lights of Hanukkah which are about bringing back the memory and presence and awareness of Hashem to a dark world not meaning not a, a world in where all the electric lights have failed or you know where everybody else's lights have gone out or where there's a total solar eclipse and it lasts for four years no no a world in the darkness of Yavan of the Greeks the Romans are just the I mean the Romans are great organizers and codifiers great doers like Aesop the doer the one who's all done already doesn't need Hashem he's all done like his like his name suggests Aesop from Asa he's done he's complete um, but also one who does without awareness of God of one who does and says it's me and my right hand it's my life like if you read the famous oration by Pericles the leader of Athens that he gave as a eulogy 
for the Athenian dead after the first year of the long of, uh, of the long uh, and largest of the many 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 civil wars that the Greeks fought with each other they were in fact they were virtually endless they almost never stopped warring on each other but in which he gives a, a, a famous address which is in the Peloponnesian Wars if you ever want to get a the first Greek history book it's one of the earlier chapters and he boasts about the power and might the military might and glory of Greece and the, the glory of the beauty of the Athenian way of life and the, oh, the, the beauty of how open the Greeks were about displaying their bodies in public you know which 300, uh, 270 years later they were doing on the Temple Mount and in the Temple the, um, the, the Mishnaic sages report many reports about how they had prostitutes up there which is routine for temples in the ancient world uh, Middle Eastern and Asian and European world to have prostitutes in the temples for various reasons Pericles boasting boasting about the greatness of Greece and, and its, its bravery and its physical beauty and so on that is darkness just like the glitz as we say in good old American English of Hollywood and the glitz really of virtually everything you see on TV this superficial eye seducing soul numbing uh, enchanting uh, imagery the evil seduct cleverly seductive imagery is light, yes, in a strictly visual sense, but in terms of the soul and its connection to, to the eternal one is a terrible eclipse, a great darkness, a dread and a deep darkness. So uh, the lights of Hanukkah remind us of the victory of the light of the human soul's connection to the eternal one remind us of that the eternal one's graciousness which is the, the root of Hanukkah chen is the root of dedication that, that's another whole lesson you know the, to, to, to meditate and discuss the conceptual connection that, that Hebrew makes Lashon uh, HaKodesh makes between grace and dedication uh, what that means for human behavior faith persistence work I read a wonderful verse this week it's from Tana Tana the, the Rabbi uh, Eliyahu in his uh, Eliyahu Rabbah uh, part of the Talmud I believe it says the, uh, the, uh, the the mitzvah of the land is greater even than study of the Torah that's certainly not an exclusive opinion but it's an interesting one that links up to that emphasis of the connection that's so key to this holiday Hanukkah between chen, grace and dedication that, that is for, at least for Israel commitment to and dedication to and the wedding the marriage of Israel to the land like a bridegroom rejoicing over his bride as Hashem says many times this is a marriage between the Jewish people and the land of Israel so there can be a marriage a complete marriage rather than an annulment uh, between Hashem and the Jewish people and their light can go out into all the world is uh, part of this holiday and it's part of how all the people in the world should be Noahides let's uh, you know I pray I pray I'm so happy to be talking to you tonight about these beautiful subjects I pray that in a year from now there'll be ten times as many Noahides in the world as there are today and you will have many many uh, people Noah, good Noahides to have friendships with and to discuss things with and to study with and to see more and more uh, that you are part of the tikkun ha'olam the rectification of the world and uh, the reforging of vessels 
that are both strong and transparent. You know, Asaf, I'm still in the same area, um, uh, talking not in a completely linear way, but in a more uh, Talmudic discussing kind of way, as I tend to. Um, the Kalim, as you know, the vessels were shattered because the world is filled too much with the spirit of Asaf. You know, Western civilization, not least the great productive, creative, wealthy civilization that makes so many things, but it's and it may, and it's the light, the light that it puts out is blinding. That's the problem. The light that it put out puts out is blinding rather than healing, corrupting rather than illuminating and soft and nurturing because the hands are the hands of Asaf and the voice, God help us, is the voice of Asaf instead of the voice of Yaakov and the hands of Torah and Torah laws. You know, yes, it's gone as far as it's, it's gotten as far as it has because it's got an enormous amount of Torah in it. But it's not Torah that directs us, directs it less and less. It's power politics. It's Machiavelli. And what's Machiavelli? It's the, it's the ancient Greco-Roman and uh, lust for power. It's the Egyptian pyramid. The handful at the top, at the point, ruling the slaves at the bottom. So all the human energy and all the light that was put into the world shattered the vessels created by the Asaphs and the pharaohs and the nimrods and their modern successors because the good light cannot stand be contained by husks that are like bodies inflated by hormones by artificial hormones they're huge puffed up over they're too big for their frames and it's like Here's another metaphor. It's like, you know, when you get a bad, when you grow something in your garden, a vegetable or a fruit, and it's all rind and no fruit, you know, like you get an orange sometime in the supermarket and you spend all that trouble peeling it off and it's, it's all peel. It's like, where's the juice? Where's the sweetness? Where is that? Where is the It's just a husk. So those husks, you know, to talk in a metaphoric way, uh, more metaphorically certainly than I do in my books or writings about the history of the West especially in human history is that the divine light uh, did not find vessels that could be both strong but also translucent from which the light could be uh, could radiate out and fill the world like uh, ha or tov of yom echad of the, the good light of the first day, which is what we're working our way back to, and it, which is coming, you know, whether, whether our efforts will be reinforced, uh, or to whatever degree our efforts will be reinforced by the powers uh, that be. Okay, now I'm going to uh, just make a, a break with that, that metaphor, that useful teaching growing out of the idea of Neely, the eternity, victory, and conductor of Israel and all the world, and how his light comes down uh, in the Vav, so to speak, uh, to the wholeness and integrity of Israel. You see there in the top left of the whiteboard, is when Yaakov was named Yisrael, he won that blessing by wrestling with Esau's angel so that it, Israel at least would be dominated by the spirit and the voice of Israel and Hebrew rather than that by the voice and attitudes of Esau. He was Shalem. So the Vav comes down and from Shal gives us true peace. Comes down between the Lamed and the Mem in Shalem. And then we have Shalom. There you see in the middle and that, that's when you have the land and the Torah and the children of Israel in Israel that's when everything is intact that's when the marriage is intact instead of broken that's when the 
children can be born all the fruits of the land the human and the vegetable fruits of the land can be born instead of aborted like the nations keep insanely and suicidally trying to do to abort Israel or to kill the, the, the baby, the child Israel uh, when, when the, the land and the people, the Jews are in Israel and with the Torah then, you have, then Shalem becomes true Shalom look at this very interesting uh, this, this other brilliant aspect of the holy language Hebrew Shalom has the numeric value just to be very simple whenever I do Gematria I keep it very simple because you can get lost in it and you, you wander far away it's fascinating but you can wander far away from practical action in the world and even from uh, the Tanakh uh, God forbid so the simple Gematria of Shalom is 376 which is also the Gematria of Karuah, which means to break or uh, to, to, to be torn, tattered, or ragged, you know. And uh, uh, also, which fits just what I was saying about when Esau dominates, the one who, who makes and completes but never puts Hashem first because he threw his birthright away. He uh, divorced himself. You can, you know, hard to imagine such a thing, but there are a lot of people like this in the world in every generation, unfortunately. Divorced himself from the inheritance of Abraham and Isaac and uh, got the nickname Edom as a result. So Karua, you can, the, the world can go two ways. You know, they're, they're, Hashem's light fills the world. But you can have two kinds of kelim. You can have kelim, klipot, that are just thick husks that, that swallow and repel the light and that are used like weapons to crush. Or you can have, uh, you, you can have a light that gets put into creations that really... Uh, are torn and ragged and tattered karua and then you have a false peace you know you have the peace of the wicked Tehillim 73 for I was appalled when I saw the peace of the wicked you can have the fake peace that Yirmiyahu that Jeremiah talks about in chapter 7 and Yecheskel, prophet Ezekiel talks about in his Sefer, chapter 13 they cry peace, peace but there is no peace you know, one of many verses in the Tanakh virtually every one, when you read it and you say oh my goodness, what, what was this written yesterday? surely this was written in the 1990s but it was written 2600 years ago they crying out peace, peace and there is no peace there to me is a clear reference to the false peace of Esau and the false kiss he gave Yaakov when he was standing there with his 400 armed men to give his brother a hearty hand clasp so to speak there is the fake peace of Karua the, the peace process Shalom that really amounts to tearing, breaking and fragmenting you know that Jewish custom when someone has passed away uh, you make a tear in your garment like Shmoel Hanavi uh, did uh, in his garment actually uh, King Saul did it unintentionally and then Samuel gave the interpretation anyway the tearing of the garment the Kriya it's the same root you know to tear but the Kriya its form as a uh, adjective is an exact exact simple gematria for shalom so shalom can either grow from the shalem the shlemut of Yisrael uh, Am Yisrael Eretz Yisrael Torah Yisrael or shalom can grow from the hands of Esau and when it amounts to what we have in the world today with a world community that is a, a disorganized rabble 
of gangsters, drug dealers, slave traders, and Jew haters. You know, a world that says it has a United Nations that couldn't be more fractured, tattered, divided, violent. The opposite of the menorah, which I have also up on the whiteboard. The menorah that you know, that is, of course, that is, uh, that we're have before our eyes and in our minds every Hanukkah even though the Hanukkah the eight branched menorah is different and special for the holiday because the oil burned for eight days that was a miracle too although interestingly as other people have pointed out that's not the miracle celebrated by the Al-Hanissim prayer that I, I recited for you half an hour ago the Al-Hanissim prayer is all about the active faith of we will do and then we will understand. It's Nachshon, jumping into the Yam Suf. You know, when Hashem said to Moshe, stop crying out to me and go. Go. Do it. Like, the, like hundreds of Jews walked up around barricades and despite the police to Chomesh yesterday. And just like every place, settlement, in Judea and Samaria was settled by Jews in the face of the opposition not only of the Goyim but of virtually every single Jewish government since 1967 a land that had it been filled with Jews in a beautiful wedding of the land and the people it would have been Shlemut and the Arabs would have left you probably wouldn't even have had to raise a hand to them they would have left because they create nothing as we all know and in the place of the real true marriage a marriage that's rooted in heaven and on earth uh, you can't have any kind of tearing, fracturing or violence it's not going to, anyway the menorah as you know was made out of a single piece of solid gold one piece like the yom like the light of yom echad it was completely shalem, completely whole and unified. And uh, if you add up the knobs, uh, uh, cups and blossoms, the oil bowls, the branches and the stand, uh, I was reading in Rav Ginsburg, you get 50, which to me, although I didn't read it there, is anytime you see the word 50 in Hebrew or the number 50, it's a reference not only to higher speculation about the gates of understanding and so on, uh, which is true and beautiful, but it's a reference more clearly and, and simply to the Yovel, or as they call it in English, the Jubilee. And what is the real Jubilee? It's precisely this marriage that I've been talking about, that's, that's so much a part of Hanukkah and the going down of Yosef to Egypt, to Mitzrayim, so Israel could return and marry the land after conquering and driving out not, on, not, on, not the Amalekites specifically, but the enemies of everything for which Israel stands, all the different kinds of darkness, the violations of the, all the Noahide laws that were embodied by the behavior of the Canaanite nations. The Yovel, of course, the, the Jubilee, as it is described in the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, is the inalienable landholding of every single Jewish family in the entire land of Israel, in Yisrael Shlema. Inalienable. That's where America gets the idea of inalienable rights. From chapter 25 of Sefer Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, which describes how, I mean, why do you proclaim freedom throughout the land? Again, there's the reference to Hanukkah. The free, the, 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 you know, the, when the Jews could again be a free, that is a self-governing people in their land, and which means a land that's filled with the light of Torah and the light of Hashem. A land that emanates light rather than crushes it or eclipses it um, as so many people are trying to do in our days 
Uh, so it's about the proclaimed freedom through a blast on the shofar on Yom Kippur. Interestingly enough, proclaimed freedom throughout the land. And even if you've had to sell the value of your land by according to its the value of the crop yields of however many years you sell, you cannot sell it. I mean, that is the ultimate inalienable right and inalienable possession that inspired the founders of the American Declaration, that inspired the whole idea of the free soil movement, of 40 acres and a mule, that inspired Thomas Jefferson's key organizing social principle for what would keep America vital and healthy, that is, a nation of small independent landowners. That idea was taken right out of the middle of uh, Sefer Vayikra from Yovel that that land belongs to the Jewish people it's a marriage that cannot be annulled they can break it, they can damage it they can throw all kinds of dirt on Israel, the people and the land until you can hardly recognize what it is if any of you know the great short story by Franz Kafka called The Hunger Artist it's really for the, to a large extent if not mainly it's a satire on what Israel looks like in exile like a hunger artist uh, I encourage you to read it sometime anyway the menorah unified uh, a single piece uh, of gold with the reference to the Yovel and the inalienable inheritance of the children of Israel and their land Yisrael Shlema that will produce true shalom the only true shalom that we're waiting for and the, the uh, Shlemut that we see achieved in various ways by the children of Yaakov by the children of the, the original 12 children of Israel and we see how there's this is, this is a profound lesson for all of us in our lives if only, I hope we could all review it I hope I can review it myself for five minutes at every day what a great teaching this is for everything in life that the, the way that is that the ways that the sons of Jacob were fragmented, scattered, divided, and then reunited in that it's a combination of conscious choices, of informed, uh, of, uh, of, of, of actions informed by forethought and judgment, a lot of thinking, but also a mixture of divine providence as Joseph says to his brothers when he speaks to their heart and consoles them and reassures them in Parsha Vayigash and, and he approached next week but the he refers to Yehuda now I'm gonna, this has to be done a little too quickly uh, on this Yom Hashishi Hag HaNetachon the uh, and every day in Hanukkah, if you're wondering what that chasop zaroa kadshecha v'karev kates ha Yeshua is uh, the ch chet zayin kuf is a uh, acronym for uh, or are the letters of the word chazak, which you probably know means strength or can be used as an imperative. You know, chazak, be strong, be strong is certainly what the Jewish people have to be and certainly what the uh, Nei Noah have to be since uh, the world has got, it's got a long way to go before it fills up with the uh, knowledge of Hashem if I have time I'll give you those few verses from uh, what is called in English what was remade into English as Rock of Ages but originally and still is known as Mao's Tzur Fortress Rock the, the Hanukkah hymn um, it was composed about a thousand years ago but anyway Joseph uh, Jacob's sons especially the daughters of Leah um, especially the three oldest uh, sons not, I shouldn't say that not Ruben especially uh, Shimeon Levi and Yehuda decided that Joseph was uh, arrogant he was too proud but more dangerously he was going to fracture the unity of the family by carrying bad reports about them repeatedly to their father we reviewed that and uh, last week 
and exactly who and how many of them he was carrying reports on. Certainly, he told them that you know he was all they were all going to bow down for him. They couldn't understand this, so they put him in a pit to be sold. He got sold into Egypt. This, of course, afflicted Jacob enormously. And the brother, there was a famine in the land. In the meantime, the uh, the chamberlain of the bakers went the way of all flesh, but a little prematurely, like hopefully the current chamberlain of the bakers will do. Anyway, Joseph was eventually taken out and made viceroy of Egypt. And uh, you know the story, how the brothers came down. I just want to focus in on the part that links you know, in one, there's a very special link between Yosef and Binyamin and Yaakov. You could say there's a triangle there, a very a unique one. There is also a unique and special link between Yehuda and Yosef to this day, and a very one of the most famous uh, and, and and messianic, pardon the expression, but millennial. Uh, uh, passages in all of the prophets, uh, Ezekiel chapter 37, the last uh, 14 or so verses after he describes the valley of dry bones, he uh, take two wooden tablets and write on one, you know, for Judah, and write on the other one for Joseph, and put them in your hand, and they will become one in your hand, because they will be Amechad, one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. Just what we're talking about tonight in this entire course. Shlemut, one nation, entire. There's a special relationship between Yehuda, Binyamin, and Jacob. So we can see in this Parsha, which is called Miketz, at the end, which is where we are, like it or not, at the end, not only of this class, to speak of very little things, but at the end of history because this is that's why I wanted to make a point of writing down on the whiteboard Yom HaShishi Chag HaNetzachon it's very special to be together on the sixth night of Hanukkah because we are in the sixth millennium the last millennium of, of history and we are not only in the sixth millennium we are in the last quarter of the of the day so to speak of this of this millennial day you know, every day of creation is, is a millennium of human history. And the last quarter began in 1990, which was, by the way, the last time uh, James Baker was dragging a bunch of countries for a conference in Madrid on how to destroy Israel with the PLO and uh, a number of other things. But Yom HaShishi, so we're in the sixth millennium, which is alluded to certainly by this sixth day at the end of which we will see the unification of Yosef and Yehuda as one nation and all the tribes that are with them the ten northern tribes or the, the nine and with Yosef and the tribes with Yehuda united and Israel will be intact are in this week's Parsha which interestingly is called Miketz at the end Yosef and Binyamin of course very close because they're both uh, sons of Rachel uh, Jacob's intended wife and his dearest wife that he loved and that he worked seven years for we went through all the complication of history that was done by Lavan grandfather of Bilam the evil Lavan the breaker of virtually every Noahide law if not every single one and uh, all of the things that he did, you know, how one person can affect history down to this day. Lavan, who lived 3,600 years ago. I mean, his switcheroo with Leah and Rachel, not to mention the other things he did to Yaakov, are affecting us to this very evening, to this minute. So Yosef and Binyamin, very special. Yaakov becomes even more attached to Binyamin, the son of his right hand. Also, you know, by the Hebrew language, the son of the south, which is the good side, the side of Chesed, because as you faced east, the, your primary orientation, the direction from which Mashiach to Cana will come, when you face east, your right hand is on the south. By the way, that's how the, country, the nations called Yemen and Oman got their names. They're from Hebrew, from Yemin, which means both to the right, it also means south. Anyway, 
Binyamin became even more precious and beloved to Yaakov when Yosef disappeared and he thought, at last he's gone. He's been torn by a wild beast. He wouldn't let him go. It was Yehuda who stepped up with the, with the pledge. I will redeem, I will bring him back to you or I will surrender my uh, blessing from you for all time. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that you can. You know that I'll kill my own sons. God forbid. That's the last thing that Yaakov would like. That he would lose two of his sons, and then he'll lose two of his grandsons too. You know, Reuben, in his quick wholeheartedness, uh, his his over quickness to demonstrate his his sincerity and his total commitment, offered you know his two sons as a pledge. That's why Yaakov didn't couldn't didn't want to hear from that. But Yehuda offered his own status. Uh, and so this was part of his earning. Again, here we have the idea of there's divine providence to all of human history, but there's also human deeds, whether from Lavan or Esau at one extreme, or Yehuda and Yosef at the other extreme, greatly affect history. That's true in all our lives. And it was Yehuda who, when Yosef had arranged for the brothers to be framed and brought back to him and, and they all thought oh my God just what we were afraid of he's going to keep he's going to take Binyamin because the, the goblet the, the, was found in his sack by Yosef's order and he said now we'll be, we'll be killed our father this is our punishment and they were doing teshuva many times already the brothers repented they did Teshuvah. They were new. They were aware. They sanctified the name of Hashem by saying to themselves several times in Parsha Miketz and again in Vayigash and again in Vayechi, we did wrong. We did wrong and we're being punished. Somehow, we can't understand how this is happening, but God is punishing us because we did not have Rachmanus on our brother. But uh, it's Yehuda at the beginning of Parsha Vayigash who approaches Yosef in the name of their love for their father and in the name of uh, their father's love for his youngest son who is the only remaining son of his wife of the other brother who presumably is dead when Yosef heard that he knew that their teshuva was complete he knew that they had loved uh, Jacob totally he knew that they loved Benjamin they did not resent him were not jealous of him and they knew that they were, in fact considered themselves as they had said to him early in the Parsha when they first came to Egypt we are all of us sons of one man there it is again the lesson of Shlemut and Amechad we are all of us sons of one man and he cried out in a loud voice, Get Egypt out of me, away from me. And he embraced his brothers and he said, I am Yosef. Avi Odchai. Does my father still live? That's what they were all focused on. Their father, Yisrael. And that's how they came together. Shevet Achim Gam Yachad. Hine Matovu Manayim. Shevet Achim Gam Yachad a beautiful Tehillim number 133 uh, Tehillim for Sukkot one of the Tehillim of Ascent which is so relevant to this Parsha Miketz which is always a Parsha of Hanukkah which alludes Miketz uh, to the end of all history and uh, the times that we're living in when we are at the end and Kates. I'll just leave you with a last thought, another simple gematria, but of a word you might never notice and pick out that has the identical gematria, simple gematria as Kates, which is 190, or Pakod, also relevant, because as you may know, Pakod Yifakod is the code of recognition that Joseph gives to his brothers when he passes away. He says, the Redeemer will come to you in the name of Hashem, and they, how will we know him? Pakod Yifakod. He says, Pakod Yifakod. And when Moshe comes, comes to him, he says, Pakod Pakati. I have surely remembered you. How it's usually translated, Pakod. 
also had the, the code of connection of the Jewish people from when they were a family to a nation ready for redemption like they need today like we saw had a foretaste of it Hanukkah Pakod and Kates have this identical gematria 190 as the word Vayachsenun a long word for Hebrew uh, seven letters I think it is yes it's in the book of Daniel where else would you expect to find something relating to the end of days uh, in chapter 7 verse uh, 18 and it means by and yachsen and they will inherit meaning the high holy ones the kadoshim the children of Israel after the after the marauding of all the nations and all the exiles and they will inherit the land their Morasha and they will inherit by Achsenun identical to simple Gematria as Kates and as Pakot and they will inherit the land forever Omein and uh, that's what we should all live to see very very soon and a spreading of the light of Israel from an entire an Amechod on the mountains of Israel with Torah coming out from Israel and beautiful light coming from the B'nai Nora through the repaired Kalim that are translucent as well as very strong. Think of yourselves as that way. You must all be a Kela, a beautiful, uh, transparent uh, and strong vessel for the light of Torah. And in that spirit, I wish you a beautiful Chag Hanukkah Sameach, two more nights to enjoy the lights and uh, a very good couple of weeks I look forward to being with you again in uh, the month of Tevet, or as we say in English, in January, two weeks from tonight. So, uh, Shalom, Shalom, Chag, uh, Chag Sameach, Chag Hanetzachon. Toda, Toda.